Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, November 19th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. 250,000 people in the U.S. have now died from COVID-19. As experts warn, the coming months will become increasingly deadly. Continued concern over a stalled transition. The Trump administration refusing to share resources with incoming President-elect Joe Biden, while President Trump himself still refuses to accept the outcome of the election. And a federal judge issuing a major ruling when it comes to unaccompanied minors crossing over from Mexico. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with this, another grim milestone in the fight against coronavirus. The country is surpassing 250,000 people dead and the daily average continues to grow. Schools in New York City are now closed again and states across the Midwest are increasing restrictions. Lorraine Casares has more details. 60,000 new cases of coronavirus a day, and more than a quarter of a million people have now died. Um, This will get worse. We have had one million cases documented over the past week. Um, Our rate of rise is higher than it even was in the summer. Uh, We have hospitalizations going up 25%. Across the nation, new restrictions are being implemented to try and slow the spread. States like Oregon, Michigan and Minnesota issuing new limitations on businesses and public gatherings. In Idaho, hospitalizations have increased by 84 percent in just the last month. Wisconsin is reporting a record daily high of nearly 8,000 new cases, reissuing a state of emergency, extending its mask mandate until January 2021. In Kansas, masks are also now required. And in Arizona, the governor has now mandated masks be worn in schools. Getting back to normal isn't in the cards right now. Meanwhile, New York City announcing it will close public schools again, impacting 300,000 students and infuriating some parents. Restaurants continue to be open at full capacity, but we have 0.2% positivity in our schools. So the city may have hit 3%, But it turns out that our schools are the safest place to be in our city right now. The decision made after the city surpassed its self-imposed threshold of a 3% positivity rate on a seven-day average. No one is happy about this decision. We all, in fact, are feeling very sad about this decision. And as Thanksgiving approaches, officials urging Americans not to gather. You know what love is on Thanksgiving? I love you so much. And I'm so thankful for you that I'm not going to see you. Dr. Anthony Fauci, considered high risk at age 79, says he plans to share a meal with his wife while connecting with other family members virtually. And in just 10 months, coronavirus has killed more people in the U.S. than strokes, car crashes and suicides combined. In a year, officials are warning that the death toll will get much worse before the end of the year. The CDC predicting that it could reach 289,000 dead by December 12th. Carolina, back to you. Thank you so much. And joining me now is Dr. Neda Fadul. She's an associate professor of infectious diseases at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Thank you so much for your time, doctor. Thank you for having me. 
Doctor, the situation in Nebraska is so difficult that over 3,000 healthcare workers, including yourself, signed a letter pleading with the public. It reads, quote, we're not able to add more space and will soon not have the workforce to care for more patients. However, this dramatic increase in cases can be slowed. You can help us flatten the curve, end of quote. Why is this message like this needed in Nebraska, doctor? Well, the cases in Nebraska are now rising at a scary rate. A couple of days ago, I gave a talk, and at that time, I reported the number of cases to be 106 per 100,000 cases. And today, the rate is 119 per 100,000. This is making us number six in the country. Right now, almost 80% of our ICU beds are occupied, and we have a severe shortage in healthcare workers. And healthcare workers are just exhausted and burned out right now. So this was a cry for help, asking our community to help us use strategies that were proven to prevent the spread of this virus. Doctor, your neighbors to the north, South Dakota and North Dakota have the highest number of new cases per capita. The governor of South Dakota is still refusing to issue a mask mandate. How are the explosion of cases in neighboring states impacting the capacity in Nebraska? Well, so the borders between the states are not really real borders, right? These are artificial borders, so people are moving back and forth between these states. So there is a lot of movement that can exacerbate the problems in neighboring states and in our state as well. Uh, in our state, we're having the same problem too. We don't have a mask mandate, and we've been crying for help and asking our governor to institute a mask mandate. Uh, recently, our governor instituted new directive health measures canceling elective surgeries, but that's not a solution. The solution is not to empty hospitals or add more hospital beds. The solution is to stop the spread at the community level. So right now we need effective measures implemented at that level to prevent the spread. Now let's talk about the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. Some people are taking COVID tests ahead of the holidays for peace of mind, but does that negative test mean you're clear? Well, depending on the test that you're taking, the negative test does not always mean that you're clear. And the negative test only means you're clear at that moment you took it. It doesn't mean that the virus level in your body are high enough to make it positive at that minute. So for example, the antigen test, if you took that test while the viral level in the body was extremely high, the antigen test is likely to be positive. But if you took it before you start having symptoms, or a few days after you start having symptoms, the antigen test can be falsely positive. So we should not rely on testing alone. There are so many other things that we could do. We can limit Thanksgiving gatherings to few people, to our immediate family only. We can celebrate virtually. We can drive through to our family and friends and just wish them happy Thanksgiving. We need to implement these measures. So, you know, find alternative ways to celebrate Thanksgiving this year so that we're together next year and we can celebrate a happier and bigger Thanksgiving. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Fadil at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Thank you. Now, a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, began delivering coronavirus tests by drone this week. The free delivery is available for people in single-family homes within a one-and-a-half-mile radius of the store. The kits come with a self-administered nasal swab that patients send to a lab. They can then receive the results online. The pilot program comes as El Paso suffers from one of the worst coronavirus outbreaks in the U.S. The city issued a stay-at-home order lately last month and that will last until at least December 1st.
President Trump and his legal team are running out of time and options. Their chances to challenge the 2020 election coming to an end. But the president still refuses to concede to Joe Biden, which means the president-elect and his team are still in the dark when it comes to intelligent briefings and other matters. Andrea Linares has the latest. President Trump still avoiding public scrutiny and dodging questions. His top officials are also evading the media. Tell us why you're not going to take any questions. Mr. Secretary, Mr. Secretary can we just get your take on that stuff? I'm sorry, I have a meeting to run to. Thank you very much. How can you not take questions? Why won't anyone in this administration take questions? The president still refuses to concede, leaving the head of the General Services Administration, Emily Murphy, to decide whether the transition can begin. And so far, Murphy won't sign off. But President-elect Joe Biden is pressing on, putting together his team. On Wednesday, Biden participated in a virtual roundtable with frontline workers. The president-elect warning if the Trump administration doesn't give his team access to government resources soon, there's even more at stake than immunization like getting badly needed protective equipment to hospitals. We've been unable to get access to the kinds of things we need to know about the depth of the stockpiles. We know there's not much at all. That virtual meeting turning emotional as an ICU nurse shared her COVID-19 experiences on the job, Biden wiping away some tears. The physical impacts of this virus have been devastating. I myself is help, have held the hand of dying patients who are crying out for their family that they can't see. Meanwhile, Health and Human Services Director Alex Azar says he'll work with Joe Biden's presidential transition team when the government says he can. We've made it very clear that uh, when GSA makes a determination, uh, we will ensure complete uh, cooperative professional transitions uh, and planning. Uh, but that's uh, we, we follow the guidance. Members of Biden's COVID-19 advisory board are also asking for access to the government's plan to distribute the vaccine. We know that vaccines don't deliver themselves. It takes a team of people. Dr. Rick Bright, a vaccine scientist and whistleblower who accused the Trump White House of interfering in efforts to fight the virus, said Biden's team was skeptical that any credible plans exist inside the Trump administration. The Progressive Change Campaign Committee, which is a group aligned with Senator Elizabeth Warren, gave the Biden transition team a list of about 400 names to consider for his administration. It's expected that the president-elect will announce new cabinet members after the Thanksgiving holiday. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Meanwhile, Congress and the White House have until mid-December to approve new spending measures in order to avoid a new government shutdown. Edwin Pitti has the latest from Washington, D.C. Edwin. Hi, Carolina. December 11th is the deadline for Congress and the White House to come together and make an agreement to approve a new spending legislation to prevent the federal government from shutting down in the middle of a pandemic, especially when the number of cases continue to increase. Now, members of Congress started working on, the, on this week on the spending bill, and the sticking points remain over international aid policy, public health spending, and tribal health care. That, of course, among other disagreements. The White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows, met on Capitol Hill with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and said that he cannot guarantee that lawmakers will be able to reach a deal to avoid a shutdown. Meadows also saying that their priority continues to be making sure 
the government is funded. This important negotiation, Carolina, that seeks to avoid another shutdown like the two experienced under the Trump administration, comes when the division on Capitol Hill is even widening. Negotiations over a stimulus package have not been successful at all, and Congress also faces looming expiration of economic protections by the end of the year, including benefits for millions of jobless Americans and protections for renters and students borrowers. Senator Mitch McConnell and the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, are not even speaking. But we know that on Tuesday, Pelosi and the Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer sent a letter to McConnell asking for the negotiations over a stimulus package to continue. But the White House has taken a backseat in the discussions since President Trump lost the presidential election. The Senate Appropriations Committee continues to work the details of the spending bills. They will need to reach bipartisan agreements on the policy substance of 12 underlying bills and pass them before December 11th. Live in Washington, D.C., Carolina, back to you. Thank you, Eileen, for that report from D.C. A new jobs report is in. The pace of workers filing for unemployment claims picked up last week and was a bit higher than Wall Street had been expecting. Jobless claims totaled 742,000 for the week. According to the Labor Department, that total represented an acceleration from the previous week. In other news out of Washington, on Wednesday, House Democrats nominated morning, Speaker everyone. Nancy Pelosi to be Speaker for another two years. The nomination was secured by voice vote during a process conducted remotely as a health precaution. And on Wednesday, a federal judge ordered the Trump administration to stop expelling immigrant children who cross the border alone, halting a policy that has resulted in thousands of rapid deportations of minors during the pandemic. The Trump administration has expelled at least 8,800 unaccompanied children since March, when it issued an emergency declaration citing the coronavirus as grounds for bearing immigrants from remaining in the U.S. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The Senate will turn itself into a courtroom. The private border fence is being installed. A police officer and three people were killed inside a Jewish supermarket in Jersey City. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And as the pandemic rages on nationwide, community members across the country are doing what they can to help their neighbors. Blanca Rosa Vilches has their stories. The sounds and the smells belong to a restaurant. However, the signs asking to end deportations and welcome refugees give us a clear idea that here they're cooking more than just Mexican food. Why am I doing this? It's just it's a responsibility, it's my ideals, um, it's a way of thanking the community for including us and ha letting us stay here, letting us be part of the South Bronx and it's um, the right thing to do as a small business, um, as somebody who's talented in the kitchen, um, to provide um, emergency meals for my neighbors so I could continue seeing them past the pandemic. The restaurant opened a decade ago 
but the pandemic made them realize that they were people in need who had to be fed. Are uh, financed through mutual aid. Um, there has been uh, neighbors who have grown things in the community gardens, in their backyards, or who just go to the supermarket and pick up a can of beans or like tomato sauce and just drop it, or they volunteer their time for um, helping like uh, make the meals or to deliver the meals. So it's through mutual aid that we have been able to sustain ourselves. Yes, we have gotten small grants and um, GoFundMe um, has helped us out a lot, but it has been more through just our neighbor um, and friends outreach more than anything. So far, they have cooked 1,200 meals a day from April to September. With the help of 16 organizations, they're able to distribute the food around the South Bronx. Now, they are preparing for a second wave of COVID-19. They are aware of people's needs. That's why the kitchen will remain open as long as they can provide a hot meal for them. In the Bronx, New York, Blanca Rosa Vilches, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.